And this is the thing when we talk about universal design, because yes, there are people who are neurodivergent and there are people who are neurotypical. And it's really important to recognize that there are specific systemic and societal barriers that affect neurodivergent people that you know we need to be aware of. But also when we're creating a, a work environment. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive uh, podcast. Uh, today I have the great um, to have uh, Allegra Chapman. Uh, good morning to you, Allegra. Morning, Julian. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to see you. Great to have this conversation. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, just to tell the audience a little bit about you. You're a business strategist, communication specialist, and an expert in behavioural change. Uh, you're also a co-founder of a business called Watch This Space, which is an award-winning diversity and inclusion company. Uh, you help companies work better together by harnessing the power of inclusion. And today we're going to be exploring neurodiversity in the workplace. Um, but before we get into that conversation, Allegra, uh, I'd like to ask you, what do you love about what you do? Well, I'll be completely honest with you, Julian. It's not always an easy job. I think, you know, when anybody who's working in diversity and inclusion will know that it can be quite an emotionally draining job sometimes because you get come up against a lot of people who potentially aren't enthusiastic about diversity and inclusion. And um, you come up against a lot of prejudices and you come up a lot against a lot of quite sometimes, you know, difficult ideas that people have. But for me, and I think for all of our team at Watch This Space, we've all experienced discrimination and harassment in the workplace ourselves. And it's one of the big reasons that we left corporate life. And for us, we're really driven by this desire to stop those sorts of things from happening to other people and to make those things less and less common until hopefully in one day, in one glorious future, they disappear altogether. And everybody can work well together and work really effectively. So for me, it's when we start to see impact happening from what we're doing, we start to hear from people that it's made a difference to how they feel at work, to how they feel they can be in the workplace. When organizations are telling us that their teams are working more effectively together and that, you know, they're getting all of those wonderful benefits that you get from a diverse team. And you can see that real impact happening. It just makes it all really worthwhile and it makes it all feel so fulfilling as a, as a job. So it makes up for all the difficult times. Yes, and I, and I appreciate it. it. It might be tough and might be sort of falling on deaf ears at time, uh, your messages and what you're trying to do. Uh, but it sounds like you've got a big why there as well that, that drives you. Oh, definitely, very much so. And I think that's you know true for anybody in, in a role is really knowing what that why is. Um, your purpose in life doesn't have to be changing the world. It doesn't have to feel like you know really grand thing, but just feeling like you there's a reason why you do what you do and you feel at the end of the day that you've accomplished something and that you've made a positive impact, whatever mm. that means to you and your organization in, in the role that you do, it makes such a huge difference to how you feel about work. Mm. Well, I love your honesty because it's nice to hear that refreshing that it is tough. It is difficult. It is hard because sometimes even though we have a why and people get caught up with this, I find my purpose and therefore everything's going to be easy. No, it's still going to be tough. Your why helps you keep going. It helps you navigate you, helps keep pushing you forward. It gives you motivation uh, despite the challenges you may face. And I'm sure along the way, as you've already explained, there's some highs uh, along with that and the impact you see uh, in terms of organizations that you're working with. Um, we're going to be talking, exploring a bit more about neurodiversity in the workplace uh, this morning. And, 
I think it'd be really good to restart almost right at the beginning of this, you know, almost defining what neurodiversity means, but also why is it important to discuss this in the context of the workplace? Sure. And I think you're right that neurodiversity has become something that's been talked about a lot recently. It's really gaining momentum in, in you know, how people are thinking about it and talking about it. But I think a lot of people are still very confused about what does it mean? Um, so put really simply, it's really important to recognise that neurodiversity is a huge spectrum. It's um, it's very, very broad. There are a lot of, of things that it covers. But at its core, neurodiversity is really thinking about the different ways that people's brains work and the different ways they process information and the different ways that they experience and interact with the world around them. So <clears throat> neurodiversity is that broad spectrum in the way that human brains work and that is very broad and very varied and then when we're talking about neurodivergent people that is people whose brains their cognitive function their sensory processing operates in a way that is outside the sort of expected spectrum of our society so you have neurotypical people who fall within that expected spectrum um, and whose brains operate in a way that we we sort of our society expects. And we have neurodivergent people who fall outside of that. And so that can include anything from autism, ADHD, uh, OCD, uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. Uh, it can involve mental health issues, so depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. So it's it's a really wide umbrella term so you know we need to sort of keep in mind that we're talking about lots of very different people with very different experiences when we're talking about neurodiversity and i guess because it because it's so broad that 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 makes it probably even more challenging to a understand and how to adapt or work with those individuals as well doesn't it definitely and, and we quite often get asked by um organizations how, what they can do you know to support neurodivergent people in their in their workplaces and there's no kind of you know one sort of quick fix that will work for everybody because it is it is such a, a broad um broad thing but what i i sort of try to say to clients is you know, you, you don't know who is neurodivergent often a lot of the staff in your organization won't know that they're near so it's something like 50 percent of neurodivergent people don't know that they're neurodivergent wow. and that's got a lot to do with a lack of understanding in the healthcare space about neurodivergence and people being diagnosed much later in life uh, women in particular tend to be diagnosed much later in life and um, so I myself have ADHD I'm 39 now I didn't find that out until two years ago so you know a lot of people are, are going into the workplace having absolutely no idea yeah that they're, they're neurodivergent and then something like two-thirds of the people who do know that they're neurodivergent don't want to tell their employers because they're worried about discrimination and and people treating them differently or viewing them differently so as an employer you may never know who is neurodivergent in your workplace and so it's not necessarily um you know going to be possible for you to start thinking about every individual um instance of neurodivergence and how you respond to it it's more about creating a space that can work for everyone and anyone 
And so we can start to think about universal design principles in how we can make a workplace neurodiversity friendly and we can make it so that people can access the needs that they have without them even really needing to know that that's what they're doing. Because if you have a particular way of working that works really well for you and you know that your business enables you to work in that way, you can do that almost intuitively without really having to to think about it, without having to have a diagnosis or a label. Um, But yeah, you know, then there are layers once somebody does disclose to you that they have uh, a diagnosis of autism or they have bipolar disorder or that, you know, whatever it might be, you can then sort of start to look at, at specific accommodations you can make for them. And then that does become, you know, an area where you need specialist advice because they are all very different and very specific things to think about. So just going back, <clears throat> going back to you in terms of, you know, it was two years ago that you diagnosed ADHD, um, which seems very late in life um, for such a thing. Uh, and I know, I know, and I know I'm aware that certainly females, certainly with like autism are very good at masking um, autism more than sort of guys are. Um, just understanding what, led you to that because some people might be listening right now who are possibly thinking they might because there's more stuff out there on the internet there's some little mini tests you can do out there as well and might be thinking i might be that that's why i struggle with xyz um what what was your journey if you don't mind sharing how you got to that place where you thought actually i've got something here i need to explore it a bit more and push it a bit more sure so for me i mean it's it is very much more common in women than men to get a late diagnosis um but there are a lot of men being diagnosed late in life as well um so not to kind of invalidate that as well there's there's a lot of men that mask also very effectively but a big reason why it's women that tend to um tend to be diagnosed later in life is that a lot of the research particularly around things like autism and adhd adhd very much in particular the research and the studies and the diagnostic criteria set up for healthcare professionals has all been based on boys young boys was Mm. was kind of the predominant um study group so the way that it exhibits in young boys is very different to how it exhibits in young girls so a lot of girls tend to get uh, missed and they will be labeled as things like perfectionists or you know overly emotional or all of these sorts of um these labels um i was forever being told i was a perfectionist as a child it all makes so much sense now um but for me i went through life kind of sort of always feeling like certain things were harder for me than other people and there were certain things that i really struggled to do that other people seemed to be able to do easily and i thought why is this such a problem with me as with a lot of neurodivergent people i internalized that and thought well it's my fault I'm just rubbish. I just can't do it. There's, you know, there's something wrong with me. But I was quite lucky in that I compensated for that and just dealt with it and just, you know, did it, which again is quite common. A lot of neurodivergent people uh, either suffer from burnout in their careers or they um, quite mentally exhausted because they're having to sort of constantly compensate for for these issues. Uh, but I did that for a while and I was kind of okay, but just that sort of mental exhaustion and that thinking why is everything feeling harder for me and why don't all the kind of all the tips for organization don't seem to work for me and you know I bought every planner under the sun because I thought if I just find the right planner I just need to find the right one and it will solve everything um 
I might have something to do with my stationary addiction. So um, to fuel that somewhat, but um, the right planner never materialized. I had about, you know, five planners on the go, which anybody with ADHD will tell you is the worst possible thing because you spend half of your life just filling in your planners instead of actually doing anything you need to do. Um, and it was really doing the work that we do with Watch This Space and researching more about neurodiversity and learning about ADHD and reading about things and going, no, but that's not an ADHD thing because I do that. And that, no, 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 that's not that's not just unique to ADHD because I do that as well. By the time you've got to about the 10th or 12th one of those, you kind of go, okay, <laughs> maybe. There's a pattern here, is there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern. Um, so that's what led me to to kind of go down the diagnosis route. And so if anybody is thinking, you know, okay, it might be me, um, your, your path to deal with that is your first stop is your GP. And they will uh, assess you. And then if they think that there's a, a good reason, they will refer you on for, for further assessment. It's a long process it's a process that feels like it's been designed specifically to be difficult for neurodivergent people um so it is tricky and a lot of people now are self-diagnosing because they don't want to deal with that and there's been a bit of a backlash to that a lot of people have been saying self-diagnosis isn't valid and I completely disagree because for you know if you have struggled all of your life with a particular issue and you find something that explains that, and then the coping mechanisms for that help you to deal with it, then that's great. And, you know, make use of those coping mechanisms and absolutely go with that. Um, For a lot of people, they really want the label and they want the diagnosis because they want that clarity Mm. around their identity. But for other people, it's not so important to have a particular label or a particular diagnosis. It's it's just good to know what coping mechanisms are out there and what they can do to mm. help themselves. So, you know, whether you choose to go down the diagnosis path or not should be entirely your choice. It's a difficult path to go down. And I fully respect anybody who doesn't want to do that and who just says, no, I found a, th- a system that works for me mm. and, and I'm going to go down that. Obviously, you won't be prescribed medication without an official diagnosis. So if you need medication, then that's that's a route you have to go down. Mm. But for a lot of people find that they, you know, they just once they have the systems in place, then they, um, you know, they can deal with their mm. symptoms fine, and they don't feel that they need that. Yeah, well, th- thanks for sharing that, and, and just taking you as the example because it's always great to have an example in front of us. Um, how, how how did you what what challenges did you face when you were in the workplace before you set your own company up? What were the challenges? And obviously, prior to you knowing you had ADHD, what how, what were the things you found difficult? Whether that's interacting with your line manager or the work you're doing or the tasks you're doing, what what was difficult for you? That uh, and then almost what could an em, uh, an employer have done to help you at that point? Just a short interruption to the episode to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences, and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Logical and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Logical deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retain package that is right for you and your people. Now back to the episode. So a few different things. Organisation is is a big one. Um with people with ADHD and so structuring my day the kind of the doing one thing at a time and working sort of methodically through a to-do list has never really been (laughs) my vibe uh that's not and that's not 
how you get the best out of me and a sort of kind of one at a time thing. I am a very creative person, which is very common with people with ADHD. Um, and so I am best utilized in coming up with creative ideas and, um, you know, being able to sort of let loose. Um, I just, I'm going to very quickly plug in my computer because I think it's going to die on me, which is um, not what we want. And then, and here we go, is in real time, it's like not checking your battery before you um, start an online meeting, just because so you might not necessarily be as prepared with practical things. We tend to not be brilliant at practical preparation in a lot of circumstances. Um, there we go um because we're th- we are thinking about the ideas and the creative things and the opportunities and we're not necessarily thinking right i need to have a battery pack and i need to be at this place at this time and all that kind of thing um so for employers i think if you are able to if you recognize that some of your staff are better at that than others then having those things in place or having systems whereby you can say right well, what are the things you're going to need allegra you're going to be doing a podcast recording tomorrow so you're going to need a battery you know pack plugs in you're going to need these things you're going to need to have this set up by this time um so that you know it's almost almost somebody helping you the planning preparation piece is that what you're saying yeah and you think having sort of almost resources you know because this is going to be a process that you put together for people so they just have a checklist to read through it doesn't have to be something that somebody sits down Mm. with you with every single time this can be a process that you have written out these are things you need just make sure you go through this checklist before you do this thing um and interactions with people so I um used to find it quite difficult so I as a neurodivergent person I'm quite bad at reading subtext so if people tell me things I will often take them very much at face value and I won't necessarily understand that you know what it is beneath the surface that they're getting at and I am quite blunt in my opinions and in my thoughts and I kind of forget about the niceties quite a lot I'm very it's (laughs) my standard way of writing an email will be hi Julian this is the thing thanks Allegra and then before I send it I'll go back and (laughs) add in have you had a good weekend (laughs) because I know I'm supposed to do that (laughs) but my brain my brain doesn't my brain's just like what I need to tell you this thing and I used to get in trouble um with a, an old boss at the time because I would um you know if we were one or the other of us was out of the office I would just text him with a question or with this has happened or this is the thing and he would always text back really kind of passive aggressively going morning how are you because <laughs> I forgot the chit chat bit I didn't do that um so those sorts of things I think partly that is just accepting that people communicate in different ways and I um Mm. what a lot of businesses have started doing which I really I think is great is having a kind of how to work with me sheets and that could include things like you know I might forget to ask you how your weekend was when I message you about something and please don't take it personally and but but that's not just neurodivergent people though is it some I mean I'm 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 you know, very aware. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I do disc profiling, so I'm a high D, and I get sometimes straight to the chase and very objective. And but I'm, I am aware that some people, the, the opposite to me, you know, a sort of more S sort of on the profile, would want more about how their weekend was. And then, and that's so it's not just neurodivergent. It's but and, that, and that's been aware, isn't it, that some people are just straight to it, just get straight down to business. Don't do no niceties. It's not that I mean, not no nice It's who they are, isn't it? 
And this is the thing when we talk about universal design, because yes, there are people who are neurodivergent and there are people who are neurotypical. And it's really important to recognize that there are specific systemic and societal barriers that affect neurodivergent people that you know we need to be aware of. But also when we're creating a, a work environment, if we're taking a universal design approach and we are kind of, you know, looking at how we can support all different types of, you know, ways of working and of thinking and of communicating, then it works for everybody. Because as you say, some people might not fall into the neurodivergent bracket or they might not have a diagnosis that tells them they fall into the neurodivergent bracket, but they will still communicate in a different way to other people. Um, and I mean, I, you know, so I used this, this was a problem that I knew that I kind of maybe didn't have the sort of best um, rapport with some of my colleagues in some places. But then at one business that I worked at, I got pulled aside by my manager and told that some people thought I was unfriendly because I wasn't putting kisses at the bottom of my emails. And at that point, I really went, no, come on. <laughs> this is not my problem now. <laughs> like, I've been internalizing a lot I've of never it. done a kiss myself, on I'm an email. I'm at fault, but now I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never done a kiss on an email in the PR workplace. agency. I will see. Okay. No, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. I feel like it's a tribunal waiting to happen, but it was a PR agency and everybody was very kind of, you know, lovey. Um, but at that point, I really did draw the line and I just went, no, come on, <laughs> this, is, this has gone too far now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, but this is just goes to show there are different ways that people think that you um, you should communicate and that you you should be. And I think this is the problem really at the root of it is that when you start thinking there's one right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things then you know you start to cause problems for people whereas actually you know going back to your question about what can businesses do it's starting to think about how you accommodate lots of different ways of communicating so some people want information in writing some people want it verbally um i need everything in writing please i will not take in what you said to me you know if you give me a long speech and then go away it's gone um so I need I need things in writing and I need to be able to refer back to them and, and go over them and, and reflect um so it's you know if you can do if you can provide both so you know by all means come and talk to everybody but then you know follow up in writing to summarize what you talked about clear bullet points nicely structured that's really helpful um things like you know open plan offices became so trendy and so popular and they're great for loads of people because lots of people like that collaboration they like that opportunity to chat to each other for neurodivergent people they can be an absolute nightmare um so for a lot of autistic people they're very overwhelming for me with adhd i love it i love an open plan office i love having loads of people around me to chat to but oh my goodness i won't get any work done <laughs> it's just you know, i was going to say you must be, be highly distracted distracted with all that massively distracted and i you know when i did work um you know, in a, a corporate job, I used to work from home on the days that I wanted to actually get work done because it was, you know, if I was in the office, yeah, brilliant. I'd be chatting to everybody and it is good for, you know, finding out what everybody else is doing and hearing from your team, how they're doing and being able to check in with your team and all those, those sorts of things. For me as a creative, being able to brainstorm ideas and chat things through with people and all that is really valuable. But in terms of actually getting work done, mm it's it's a nightmare i'll be massively distracted by everything that's going on so as an employer if you can offer quiet spaces i will give people that flexibility to work from home but if you can designate a meeting room or a you know an area that's a quiet space for people to go and work so that they can have that that bit of you know focused time or even just you know if they're feeling a bit of sensory overload and they want somewhere quiet just to go and decompress for a bit that can be really really valuable so those sorts of things, um, you know, I'm a really big advocate for banning people from having lunch at their desks. 
for a couple of different reasons. One, you should all be getting up from your desk and moving around. It's one of the, it benefits everybody. You know, we're so, and I'm, I'm the biggest culprit for this. I eat my lunch at my desk all the time, but it's bad for me. I know it's bad for me because I shouldn't be in front of a screen all the time. I should be getting up and moving around. I should be getting some fresh air, but also for people with, um, sensory sensitivities, the smell and the noise of people chewing and all of that is really overwhelming. So it's quite unpleasant, you know, as an environment for neurodivergent people, but also getting people to get up from their desks and move around is really valuable for everybody. So it's, you know, those sorts of things, when you start to implement them, they're they're good for everyone. Yeah, I'd like to um, just sort of almost flip this script as well, really, because I think sometimes when we talk about these things, there's almost like your neurodiversion. So then we've got to do all the adaptions and changes, which is, I get that. Um, but it's almost seen them as a, a difficulty or a challenge. And, oh, I've got somebody neurodivergent, whatever it may be, autistic, they've got AD, whatever it may be. And it, and I, and I, and I sense that because there's obviously some challenges with that because, and you've just, you've just mentioned it. Um, why don't we sort of embrace what are the benefits, positivities of em- employing somebody who might be autistic, who might have ADHD or whatever it might be on that neurodiverse sort of, sort of spectrum. And almost almost what we get for having that person is almost a more positive. I appreciate the, 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 the sort of making it sort of neurodivergent friendly, but let's try and make the positivities of those sort of people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And th- that attitude is precisely why two thirds of neurodivergent people don't want to tell you they're neurodivergent because they don't want people going, oh, do I want to hire them? Is it going to be loads of hassle? Mm-hmm. What are we going to have to deal with? Um, and there are loads of benefits to having, I mean, there's benefits to having a diverse workforce, full stop, you know, all kinds of diversity ultimately. And I can, I can give you hundreds of stats. If you go to our website, watchthispace.uk, you will find a myriad of information and stats on why all sorts of diversity make your organization more successful. But with neurodivergence, you know, different thinking and different perspectives and different ways of approaching problems and different, you know, a- approaches to, to, you know, communication and all that sort of thing is incredibly beneficial to a team. You know, it makes a team much stronger and, you know, you have specific, um, benefits i kind of try to to shy away too much from from um making it seem like every autistic person is going to be really good at this or every adhd person is going to be really good at this um and we don't get want to get into the language of you know neurodivergence is a superpower because it's almost quite infantilizing to to neurodivergent people and you get into this kind of realm where you know if you're not um a savant with numbers as an autistic person then you're kind of less valid or something because it's just not true you know it's not the thing with neurodivergence and neurodiversity in general is that it's not about being better or worse than everybody else. It's just about being different. And ultimately, we're all different. You know, we all think mm. differently. We all process information differently. We all communicate differently. And it is just really about bringing out the full potential of every single person in your team, whether they're neurodivergent or not. Um, so it may be that you know, the autistic people in your team will be really good at detail and, and really kind of focused in on, on on details. And the ADHD people might be really creative. It's not always the case, though. You know, people, people are individuals. We're all different. And we all have different skills and strengths. And really mm. the key to making any team effective and work well together is being able to identify the skills and the strengths of each individual and then helping those to come together and to work effectively together and then supporting 
the areas where they're less strong and they you know maybe might need a little bit more help yeah i think you make a really good point there about having a diverse uh, workforce will enhance your business anyway however that diversity is made up it doesn't really matter and the difference is as i say you know having different opinions different perspectives different experiences understandings just helps solve problems helps create creativity innovation and i think it's just not having the same types of people uh, which unfortunately a lot of people do tend to recruit their own type of people actually purposely not just for the sake of diversity numbers but actually for the sake of making your business better and i think it's just changing the for me the intentions a little bit more rather than saying i want to hit a hit the diversity quota or a neurodiversity quota which i hate those sort of approaches because it just becomes very tick box it's more of i want to grow my business i want to be more profitable i want to create more innovation actually having different types of people from different cultures backgrounds whatever it may be will enhance that and make it better and i think that's a better intention and then whether somebody's you know black disabled blind neuro whatever whatever it is it doesn't matter who they are it, it will create that um more positivity about it i think i think that's for me is the approach rather than quotas and i know sometimes big organizations have to have it sort of more footsie 100 type of things but they have to have those but i think we need to sort of think a bit more uh, about the intention just just finally really um what would you give i suppose employers or employees who are interested in sort of championing this sort of neurodiversity uh and how they would create more inclusive workplaces uh, and, and i suppose what, what were your final thoughts on that really well, we have a free membership platform called The Space, which people can get involved with if that is something that they um, you know, want to be involved in. Because like I said at the beginning, it can be a really hard job being the champion for diversity in your organization. And it can be quite um, you know, quite draining. So we have a free platform, people can come and get involved in it. They can get that sense of community and solidarity and support. They can access resources and guidance to help them on their journey. Um, so come to watchthespace.uk and um, you can find out all about that and get involved. And then, you know, really, I think the, the, the key step for organizations is to start reaching out to experts and start really thinking about what it is that they want to create. As you said, you know, having it's so easy to fall into the trap of just recruiting more people that are like you. Um, neurodivergent people tend to come off worse in interviews because of this, because they maybe aren't giving the same social cues and they're not, you know, mirroring people in the same way. Um, you know, the, that unconscious bias slips in and people kind of um, think, oh, well, you know, I didn't get on with them so well, so that are off the table and it's the same with you know people from um ethnic minority groups who or you know people who for every, whatever reason don't look like the people interviewing um that you know that sort of rapport um it's unconsciously the the interviewer will sort of think oh they're not like me i you know i don't i don't want them and actually you know as you say sort of flipping that script and starting to think you know we want people who are going to bring something different to the organization. We want people who are going to challenge us. We want people who are going to think differently and we want to, to build up those kind of different ways of thinking. So, you know, starting to reframe how you think about that as a business and how you can think about how you can sort of start to, to bring in those different opinions and then reaching out to the experts. It doesn't have to be us, but I highly recommend us um, as starting to, to kind of look at what training you can put in place for your staff. You know, that, um, so we offer training on neurodiversity. We offer training on all sorts of uh, different elements of inclusion, including inclusive recruitment. Um, so, yeah, starting to look at what training and what education you can bring in, how you can start to really 
um, demonstrate the benefits of this to your team because getting that engagement and that buy-in and making sure that everybody realizes why this is benefiting the organization and why you're doing this Mm. Um, and being really clear on what your values are as an organization and how all this work ties back to your core values so that this all sits really authentically with you as an organization how you're doing it Um, and you know that really then is what is going to give you the momentum to be able to to propel it forward that's really helpful, Allegra. And uh, I just want to say thank you for, for coming on the show. Thank you for your your insights. But also, thank you for sharing your personal story, which I think is is really powerful and, and the lessons you've learned and how you've adapted, but also how employers can adapt to to, to, to have you in their organisation. Um, if people are interested in connecting with you and getting in touch with you, what, what's the best way of actually doing that? Yeah, so you can find... Um, all information about us at watchthispace.uk. Uh, we're on LinkedIn, watch this sp-ce. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Allegra Chapman. There aren't very many Allegra Chapmans, so you should be able to find me pretty easily. Um, and if you want to ask us any questions or, um, or just, you know, find out more about what we do, then you can email us at hello at watchthispace.uk. Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time today, Allegra. Thanks very much for having me, Julian. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.